Welcome to the Trinity Western University Chapel podcast. It is our prayer that these chapel talks would bless your heart and they would draw you closer to our Lord. We offer them to the glory of God and for the good of the world. What's good, Trinity Western? How are we doing today, y'all? Chaplain Gerber, thank you for the tremendous opportunity to join you all today. Let's open with a question. What would you do if you woke up only to find out that the world you thought you knew was nothing more than a fake reality? This is the predicament that Thomas Anderson on my hotel movie screen this morning in The Matrix Resurrections found himself in. I think The Matrix resonates with many viewers because it speaks to the fears that we have that the world we are living in may not be real. We fear learning that our whole world is not real. We don't want to wake up from a good dream. In the book of Amos, chapter 6, verses 1 through 7, we find Israel's ruling class living in a matrix. In a society defined by oppression, these brothers and sisters lived lives of ease and security. Amos's sermon to them in the book of Amos served as a glitch in their matrix. That is, it served as notice that the world that they lived in was in fact not real. His message to them in the ancient world remains vitally important for us today as we evaluate whether our way of life aligns with God's reality. I invite you to turn with me during these brief minutes to the book of Amos, chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. Chaplain Gerber emphasized the need to me to be on time. He told me this was not first Sunday at a black church, so you'll forgive me. I'm just going to, you, the text is right in front of you. I'm going to refer to it, but I'm not going to read the passage formally right now. From the book's beginning, Amos reads like a series of prophetic punches delivered by the prophet. Yet the people seem to have dismissed Amos's message as fake news. They had some alternative facts that permitted them to ignore the, the prophet's warning. Their disposition displayed their disbelief. The people were relaxed, even as they dismissed Amos's message of pending judgment. Why? What gave them the confidence that they were so right and Amos was so wrong? They assure us that no matter what happens, We'll be all right. That's, what, that's, that's the attitude of the people here. One thing these people display is something that's true of all of us. Our security as people depends on the source of that security. Israel found peace of mind in the region's topography, the nation's self-image, and the nation's material wealth. The people felt free to dismiss Amos because, one, they lived in a secure region, but also because they were God's chosen people. Let's be clear. This was Zion. The prospect of being uprooted from the promised land was unfathomable to these brothers and sisters. Their reality didn't allow for the possibility of captivity. But even if it did, Israel had set up the ancient equivalent of two-step verification security. Not only did Israel's topography support their way of life, but these players believed that they were the best of the best. Note Amos' description of their self-image at the end of verse 1 and 2. He says, The notable men of the first of the nations to whom the house of Israel comes. Not only were Israel's ruling class the smartest of the people, but they knew they were smart. 
That's why the whole what house of Israel, that is my minimum wage, brothers and sisters, came to the ruling class for wisdom and advice. They held themselves in high esteem and they thought that their wisdom would secure them. They had a perception of themselves as almost infallible. I remember one day, my parents showed my then four-year-old son the video of my high school basketball highlights. And my son, being that God-ordained child that he was, fell in love with his daddy's highlight film. He was so excited, he watched the film like 10 times in a row. And I'm sitting there with my arm around him like, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. <laughs> Over the course of the pandemic, I probably watched my basketball highlights with my son probably about 50 times at his request. As I watched it more and more, I found myself thinking, you know, man, I was the truth back in the day. You know, I was, I was pretty good. With every viewing, my perception of my basketball skill grew. Why? because I was only looking at the highlights. My cinematic experience focused on my strengths, successes, and achievements, but you don't put your failures into the highlight reel. It doesn't cover your failures. When you only focus on the positives, it is possible to create an image in your mind that fails to reflect the reality of who you actually are. Israel's leading class only focused on the positives, the highlights. They focused on their economic stability, military might, national independence, and it led them to the subscribe to what we might call Israelite exceptionalism. They were the first of the nations. They attributed their success, stability, and security to their superiority over their neighbors. Israel began as an insignificant group of shepherds. Now they operated as a regional dominant power. Yet even as I acknowledge their upward mobility, I'm mindful of the lyrics of the rapper J. Cole. He says, the good news is you came a long way. The bad news is you went the wrong way. Israel had come a long way in building a successful, secure, and prosperous society. The problem is they built this society by oppressing the poor, exploiting women, and perverting justice. Israel built a society it believed to be impenetrable due to multiple layers of security. How does Amos respond? He reminds the people of the other nations who have boasted of their strength in verse 3. They refuse to consider the inevitability of divine judgment, even as they engaged in historic injustice. A society built on injustice will not survive the wrath of a just God. Few things are harder to consider than questioning the normalcy of injustice and oppression in the lives we live. It's hard to accept the fact that the foundations of your life may not be real, may not be biblical, at one point in that Matrix film, the main character, he, he, well, not the main character, one of the side characters chooses to remain in the computer-generated reality of the Matrix because it's the only reality he's ever known. It's secure to him. Often, we're like that character. We cling to false realities because they provide us with a sense of security. They provide us with a sense of comfort. Sin has so deluded us to truth that it's only in God's light that we can actually see the light, that we can actually see the truth. Israel's leading class was so wrapped up in itself that they could not perceive the light of the truth. Amos' attacks aroused little concern in Israel because they believed that their wealth guaranteed a certain life no matter what happened. In verses 4 through 6, he describes the prosperity and opulence that characterized Israel's wealthy class. 
Israel's ruling class shopped at the kinds of places where you had to put your Visa black card up against the window to get in. I'm talking about London's Bond Street, Paris's Champs-Élysées, and even Vancouver's Robson Street. They drank wine in bowls, you see the text say. Who drinks wine in bowls? It's kind of ignorant, but I'm going to be honest, it's still a baller move. Only the finest oils and lotions touched the bodies of Israel's leading citizens because these brothers and sisters had to keep their skin nice and supple. What is Amos trying to tell us? In the words of Jay-Z, Israel's swag was different. Let's pause for a quick second. Amos began sections in verses 1 and 4 with the word woe, depending on your version, which means judgment. He's clearly coming for Israel's leading citizens and their bowls of wine. Yet when I get to verse 6, I'm a little confused. What was the sin of Israel's leading citizens? Sure, they wanted security, but don't front. How many of us sleep better at night with security systems monitoring our residences? Yes, maybe they thought they were smarter than everyone else, but maybe they were. Amos never denies their intelligence. And yes, they were stupid rich, but is wealth a crime? If so, what do we do with Abraham, Job, or any number of biblical characters who were very wealthy? The whole chapter hinges on Amos' indictment at the end of verse 6. He says, they were not grieved over the ruin of Joseph, talking about the ruin of the less than these. Brothers and sisters, do we, are we aware that our lifestyle preaches your way of life communicates something fundamental about your worldview. Tragedies, whether it's wars, pandemics, natural disasters, they disrupt our lives. Moments disrupt our lives because collectively we recognize a tragedy occurs and we grieve accordingly. At the heart of Amos's message lies this truth. God is looking for people and communities of faith who reflect what we might call a prophetic Christianity, which requires us to be divinely concerned with the problem and effects of sin in our contemporary world and in our individual lives. As God's people, sin should break our heart whether it occurs on individual or communal levels, yet our lives as God's people often reflect a comfortable accommodation of sin that dominates our communities. That's the problem with Israel's leading class. They're living happy Sunday while everyone else is living hellish Monday. Do we acknowledge the tragedy of poverty in our communities or do we find ways to justify poverty by persistently questioning the work ethic of every poor person we come across and ignoring the educational, economic, and social barriers that lie between many people and the so-called good life? Do we acknowledge the tragedy of exploitation in women in a patriarchal world or do we find ways to justify sexual violence against our dear sisters by harping on questions like, what was she wearing in cases of assault? Do we acknowledge the tragedy of legacies of discrimination, marginalization, and even genocide against indigenous communities, or do we excuse them by saying, look how much they drink? We justify inaction by blaming victims, by refusing to see structural barriers, by comparing ourselves favorably to other communities. These tendencies blind us to the crisis of sin that should evoke grief. Israel's life of ease amidst the backdrop of pervasive sin and suffering in their society, revealed that neither God nor their neighbors held significance in their lives. Biblical grief 
reflects a divine disposition to the human condition. Israel's leading citizens lived lives of ease because they insulated themselves from reality. I'm not trying to suggest that if you have a moment of happiness this side of heaven, you are forever betrayed the cause of Christ. Yet, if you remain unconcerned as sin devastates our society, I wonder if our understanding of sin aligns with God's. It's easy for us to be concerned about the well-being of a family member or a friend. God calls us, the church, to a broader, bolder concern with sin beyond our immediate network. Amos tells the ruling class, you ought to be concerned about those poor people, those exploited women, those people who are being denied justice. As Christians, we cannot satisfy ourselves with a version of justice that remains exclusively focused on people like us. I fear that we've grown apathetic to sin in our lives and our communities. As children of the King, we are called to grieve sinful injustice whenever it occurs. When we do this, we we reveal the divine love that God has for the oppressed. We reveal the divine hatred that God has for sin. We reveal the divine concern that led Jesus to the cross, the final solution for the sin of humanity. Brothers and sisters, my question for you today is, how will we respond to the forms of injustice that dominate our societies? Will we grieve over sin? will we have the courage to respond? Let's pray. Lord, it's easy for us to live in our comfort zones. But Lord, may we be willing to sacrifice our comfort zones to acknowledge the reality of sin and commit ourselves to meeting the darkness of sin with the light of the gospel. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.